Greetings, Dr. Beckett. Welcome to the Quantum Leap Podcast. Theorizing that one could time travel within his own lifetime, Dr. Sam Beckett stepped into the Quantum Leap Accelerator and vanished. He awoke to find himself trapped in the past, facing mirror images that were not his own and driven by an unknown force to change history for the better. His only guide on this journey is Al, an observer from his own time, who appears in the form of a hologram that only Sam can see and hear. And so Dr. Beckett finds himself leaping from life to life, striving to put right what once went wrong, and hoping each time that his next leap will be the leap home. are listening to the Quantum Leap Podcast. This is episode 88, Blood Moon. Leaping in and out of new situations has taught me to be prepared for the unusual. But I suddenly had the feeling I'd left unusual and landed smack dab in the middle of bizarre. The night is torrid. It's just as you said it would be. It? Blood moon. I think you've leaped into a... A what? A vampire. A vampire? I know it sounds strange, but you should see the guy in the waiting room. He looks like a cross between Bella Lugosi and a sick corpse. He's got all the markings of the undead. And you have all the markings of the brain dead. Now, what does Ziggy have? Well, it's March 10th, 1975. Yeah. And you're just outside London. Uh, your name is Nigel Coring. You're uh, London's most eccentric and expensive artist. Mm. Uh, your family has lived in this castle for five generations. And you just shocked the art world by marrying a homeless girl named Alexandra Hill. A homeless girl? Yeah. Allow me to introduce myself formally, sir. I'm Victor Drake. Uh, this is my companion, Claudia. My lord. It's an honor to join you on this most sacred of nights. I must say I was quite surprised when you responded favorably to my letter requesting the privilege of joining you on the night of the blood moon. Your name, sir, is legendary among the followers. I thought we had all this vampire stuff settled. Yeah, well, you may change your mind after you find out why you're here. There's a 95.2% chance that you're here to solve a murder. Murder who? Yeah, Alexandra. Her body's found in the forest in a couple of days. And that's not all. What? When her body is found... What? Is... What? It's, it's completely... drained of blood. 
Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Quantum Leap Podcast. My name is Christopher DeFilippis. I'm Alison Pregler. And I am Matt Dale. Ah, ah, ah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shut up, I can't do the voice. And this is all the vampire impersonations we are going to do tonight, so let's knock that <laughs> right the fuck off. <laughs> I've heard, like, five different accents from all of us. I was going to spend the entire recording being proto-Drusilla. <laughs> is that okay? Um, sure. Let me just go find a replacement host. Uh, it's going to take about five minutes. See if Albie's available, or Hayden, um, or maybe Zoe. Um, I knew I would be kicked off of this podcast because I was left in a boot box in the steps <laughs> of a church. And I was only a few hours old. Well, I think it's quite obvious that we are talking about Blood Moon. I think we might have finally hit a milestone in the Quantum Leap podcast. Mm -hmm. Matt, do you have anything to share? (laughs) Yeah, as of tonight, we've now hit all of our least favorite episodes, haven't we? Because this is definitely mine. (laughs) (laughs) Finally. I think this is the world's worst kept secret. I've not exactly been shy about my feelings about Blood Moon. I I don't know how you guys can have been so down on Dr. Ruth knowing this was coming up straight afterwards. Dr. Ruth is like, it's just like, oh, thank God, a half decent episode before Blood Moon. You could say both of them are bad. You know that, right? By comparison, Dr. Ruth should have won awards. (laughs) I suppose we have to talk about this episode. It had to come up in the rotation, but uh, (laughs) don't worry, because we do have something positive to look forward to. Um, We are also going to feature an encore of our interview with Shay Dillon, who played Alexandra Hill, better known as the Lady Carrington. I don't know. you got to say that in a British, British accent. What, me? Yeah, the Brit. (laughs) I I know, but Alison does a better British accent than I do. And I think I said Carrington. It should be Corrington. What, Lady Carrington? (laughs) (laughs) it doesn't sound fake enough no it has to sound a bit more breathy and dreamy i really i just go into my drusilla impression every time i think of her (laughs) spike spike Alvi sat down with Shay a few months ago, maybe even over about a year ago, and I know that we had played it as more of a spotlight on the main podcast feed in between episodes, but I just re-listened to it uh, this afternoon, and boy, is she really neat, and yeah. it's a cool interview. Alvi did a really great job, mm. so uh, stay tuned for that. We're going to be having that later in the show, but Matt is expressing a sentiment that I think we hear a lot of in fandom, but... Allison, can I get your impressions of Blood Moon without sort of the Matt vitriol? <laughs> oh, so you, so you think, see, I read the rundown here. Here's something that <laughs> perplexed me. All right. So, so Chris, I'm reading uh, the rundown that you wrote. And, and, and I read, does Blood Moon get a bad rap? This scares me. This makes me <laughs> think you're going to be making the case for Blood Moon. <laughs> Someone has to. Well, we haven't gotten to my initial impressions yet, so. All right, maybe uh, maybe I'm wrong on on my my detective skills here. Hmm, I'm not saying anything <laughs> wrong with that. But um, <laughs> somebody call the yard. <laughs> I don't see why we should call you in. <laughs> What's all this then? <laughs> Can we all agree to stop the British accents, please? <laughs> all right, Matt, you first. <laughs> <laughs> 
look, this episode. Um, okay, so how I rate bad things? It's like, is something ostensibly worse than something else? Yes, but am I more entertained by it than another thing? Uh, yes, so I would find it a better episode. Um, Doctor Ruth is probably a better made episode, uh, but this episode uh, I get more entertainment from. So I do think it's better in that way. But I mean, this is embarrassing. <laughs> I said that about last week. It's kind of embarrassing. It's kind of cheap and uh, corny and not in a good way. And it's it's a little bit disappointing. That's a new flavor for this is disappointing because um I love spooky stuff. So I'm not really against them throwing in vampires or a werewolf or whatever. They never did a werewolf. But if they did, I'd be like, hell yeah. You know, I, I'm not against this sort of stuff because I love spooky stuff. But if you're going to do it, you got to do it. And this is like the worst vampire thing you can possibly do on Quantum Leap. <laughs> That's my initial impression. Okay. Wow. Okay. Oh, hmm. Well, I don't know that I have an untainted impression of this one because I sat down and I hit play. And the second Sam wakes up in the coffin and pushes himself out of it, I'm chuckling uncontrollably, thinking how much Matt hates this. And I just... <laughs> I live to serve. I could not separate the anticipation of talking to you guys about this from the actual episode <laughs> itself. So I actually had an amazing wonderful time watching blood moon because i get to speak to you guys about it standalone as an episode no is it the best of course not it's it's goddamn ridiculous but it is better than dr ruth it's a lot more entertaining than dr ruth dr ruth was just bad this at least had elements where you could be like oh that's funny dr ruth had like a shit plot with the lovers and the, the too annoying and rape boss and it was just so by the numbers. This was at least, you're going to go gonzo, go gonzo. And I think that they went a little gonzo in this. There was a lot of like really far out crap. So I, <clears throat> Allison, that's why I wrote this Blood Moon get a bad rap. As you said, ostensibly, yes, it's terrible. But I, I think it's better than people give it credit for. That's my initial impression. <laughs> I, I think it gets a deserved rap, but I still enjoy it. <laughs> Because it's terrible. I enjoy terrible things. And this is a terrible episode of Quantum Leap. <laughs> and Tommy Thompson, who wrote the episode, said as much. And I know a lot of this had to do with the fact he was gone from the show. Mm -hmm. They brought him back and then had him write this, like, super quick. This was nobody's passion project. Nobody wanted to do this. <laughs> And this, I, I've got to get this out here up front because it, this this is one of the things that's saddest for me. Some of my favourite Quantum Leap work has been done by Tommy Thompson. He's great. Uh, he's He's got a fantastic career outside Quantum Leap. There are some fine actors in this. It just, everything just falls apart, but it doesn't seem to be the fault of any individual person. It's all of these people are better than this. It's funny you say that, Matt. I was thinking the exact same thing. Um, when I was watching this, I'm like, no one in particular did anything wrong here <laughs> per se. It's just, it like, it was just a mixture of all sorts of things that didn't work. Oh, uh, there were parts that worked. 
I want to share before we get too far a quick anecdote because um, one one of you mentioned embarrassment, and I just want to share something <laughs> that relates back to a discussion we had about Dr. Ruth last week. Uh, I think it was Chris you were talking about uh, right. your other half. Yeah. Um, so earlier on today, I was preparing for this by watching Blood Moon, and uh, my partner's mother walked in and said, "Oh, this is Quantum Leap, is it? I've never seen Quantum Leap. I, I, <laughs> oh, no! I don't." I don't know what it's about. <laughs> Is it set in Victorian times or something? Oh, oh God. Oh, God. Oh, I don't boy. have to replay the rest of the conversation. You can imagine how it went. Yes, I did explain all about the time travel experiment that went wrong and effectively replayed the season two uh, saga cell to her. Uh, <laughs> And yeah, I probably sat it down for about half an hour talking about neurological holograms and, and stuff like that. So, <laughs> oh man, I, I think that helped. Oh, anything to not watch Blood Moon, huh? <laughs> exactly. Oh, oh well, I mean, I, I'm sure she doesn't look too badly down upon you. You are, after all, the father of her grandchild. So I think I made it worse. <laughs> I probably should have just said, "Yes, Quantum Leap is a vampire show." Just, just go with it. it whatever. <laughs> Trying to explain why they had a perfectly good premise and then ruined it with a vampire show. Actually, I think yeah, it does does make it worse. They, I should have just said this. This is this is what it's like every week. Love it or hate it. This is quantum leap. <laughs> <laughs> this, this is what I've devoted half of my life to. You're yes. welcome. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, you're always going to get stinker episodes. I would have been much more comfortable watching this in a room full of people who might be potentially judging me than the Dr. Ruth episode. I don't know why. Maybe because I did find some genuine laughs in this one. <laughs> Aside from the fact that I knew I was going to be talking to you. I mean, there's sort of an underplayed quality that Scott has in the first act of this. That is just amazing. <laughs> Like just with a look and maybe a breath and there's a scene when Shay or um, Alexandra says, well, I'll talk to you about it later in bed or something like that. And you can see Sam legitimately panicked at the prospect of getting laid. Tonight, when the moon is high, I will return that love a thousand times more. <laughs> and it's just like a look that Scott gives. It's hilarious. <laughs> the other real like laugh out loud is when they were talking about bringing the livestock in and oh, they yeah. all go out of the room and Sam says, I hope the sheep are okay. <laughs> I wrote that down. I love that line. He goes, gee, I hope the sheep are okay. <laughs> and I just lost it. I said, right there. It's, it's worth the price. Much better than Dr. Ruth already. And we're, we're five minutes in. My, my note on that scene was sheep season. It's sheep season. <laughs> sheep season. Sheep season. It just made me laugh because it reminded me of another episode. How could I forget? Oh, because it was stand-up. I could forget very easily. <laughs> you know what? I, I love Sam in this episode. I think, like, genuinely it's a funny performance from Scott Bakula. Because Sam's got two modes in this. He's got, like, fish out of water because he is not a spooky character at all so like there's a part where he's like helping the butler like spruce up the coffin like oh let me help you with that (laughs) (laughs) um and then he has just completely just done (laughs) oh because the vampire you are not running the program because there's a vampire in the waiting room is that it is that what you're telling me you didn't check because because there's a vampire in the waiting room (laughs) scott is really good in this i will give you that Even the worst episode of Quantum Leap still has Scott doing one of his finest comic turns. 
it's a solid, solid performance from Scott. And I think a pretty solid performance from Dean. I mean, Dean was a lot more over the top because he was being superstitious Al. I bet he had a ball doing this. Because he got to be he got to be funny guy for this episode. Very uh, comedic slant for Al in this one. The Laszlo Fang sequence. It is the <laughs> it's the one redeeming feature for me for this episode. It's the one genuinely quality scene. Okay, here's some things about the How to Spot a Vampire by Doctor Laszlo Fang scene. Um, so so Al brings out this big book. This is how you identify a vampire. Sam is like, oh, this, oh, this book is really interesting. Oh, I got to get a copy of this book. Oh, great. Where'd you get this? This is the world's foremost expert on vampires. Oh, that Doctor Laszlo Fang. Yes, this is a good book. I got to read. They say that the information that it gives is either things that you would know from a vampire movie, or that's the book that talks about uh, Count Bathory. Count Bathory. This is one of the first uh, vampires in recorded history. Legend has it that he was personally responsible for the ritualistic deaths of 650 virgins. Except the, the whole Count Bathory thing is like, first of all, it, it, it's a real historical person, except it's Countess Bathory. For some reason, they've changed the gender. For I, I have no idea why. Um, but this is a real person. So everything except the gender is correct. And Sam is acting like this is like crazy. In real life, Countess Bathory wasn't a vampire, but she was like the most prolific female murderer in history she killed so many people and like so sam's like oh this is like this is just crazy stuff from dr laszlo fang i don't know why al didn't look at any like real historical text because that's like a thing he could actually find not in a vampire book well that was going to be my question i didn't know if bathory was um a real historic figure like vlad the impaler i mean they got a vlad shout out from the poor doomed dog but the bathory thing struck me as or are they just trying to ape something to make it seem like vampire lore, but you can't get litigious because it's not saying Dracula or something like that. It's just sounded, sounded vampire-y, you know? Like, I didn't know that it was based on a real human person. Yeah, a lot of people equate, uh, is Elizabeth Bathory, a lot of people equate her with vampires because uh, she would kill, uh, I believe, virgins. She thought, like, their blood would help keep her youthful. Yeah, it's pretty vampiric. Yeah. So, um, and the, everything that they say in the episode is true, except for the fact that the gender, it's a woman. Huh. Maybe they were trying to get at, like, hint that maybe Sam has leaped into Bathory, like, under another identity or something. Maybe that's mm-hmm. why they changed the gender. But it's a little bit confusing. I, I don't know why they didn't just say it as it was. I think maybe it was a name that Tommy heard and borrowed but they're talking about the historical person. They didn't change it enough. They, they just said that it's a guy. But when you think of a vampire, you think of a count, like Count Dracula, not a countess. So I don't know. I'm just I'm just trying to get there into Tommy's head. There's no daddy issues in this one that I could see. So, uh, well, vampire daddy issues. Hmm. You were the chosen one. <laughs> I just want to know where Al got that freaking antique tome. Is that just hanging out in the project stacks? Does the project have stacks? Like, where did he get this book? This makes me think the fact that he thinks this is like a legit thing, Dr. Laszlo Fang, um, that like, if it had been like a few years later, he would just like stumble on any GeoCity site and be like, it's true. <laughs> it's on the internet, Sam. <laughs> it had like the little blinky gifts on it and everything with the tombs and the blood. <laughs> I only got so far, and then this under construction sign came up, so I guess they're not finished. I signed the guest book. I'll, I'll, I'll let you know what happens. It says there's been 370 visitors. 
<laughs> it, it can't be a lie if it's on the internet, Sam. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, I the lore in this is is a, is a little wacky. <laughs> a little. One thing about the Countess Bathory or uh, Count Bathory is not true is the Blood Moon thing. I believe that is just something they made up for the episode. Yeah, the Blood Moon, the Blood Moon. It's this very sacred night that happens once every ten years when the walking dead honor the name of Count Bathory. Isn't Blood Moon just Harvest Moon? Like a blue moon? I think Blood Moon is a real term, but this whole ritual thing and all this about sacrificing to Bathory and all that, I, I don't believe that's true. I mean, I know I have seen a red full moon at times. Yeah, yeah I, I, th- I believe you mean a b- 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 blood moon. Blood. blood, blood moon. What the hell is that? Blood moon. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Al's becoming Jewish in my impression. I don't know. <laughs> veering away from Dean Stockwell. <laughs> and there, there was one in 1975. There was a blood moon in 1975, two months after this episode was set. Ah. Uh. They even got the month wrong. Just an, anything that could go wrong with this. Was this their first and only UK leap? Uh, yes. Is that part of the reason why you hate it? Because it's the only example of a UK leap? <laughs> I have some issues with that element, yes. that's I could forgive it all of that if it wasn't for all the other stuff. But uh, yeah, the the line, this, this country hasn't been the same since the Blitz. What the fuck is that all about? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, really? Oh yeah, that's right. Since since the Blitz, our electrics have just been screwed. We've ne- we never bothered to fix anything after we got bombed. I mean, Jesus. maybe in that old ass castle set. <laughs> well, yeah. All right. Not that many people in the 70s or today in the UK live in castles. Certainly not just some artist. Are you saying that this episode kind of falls apart under any sort of scrutiny? (laughs) (laughs) I think there's some elements of it that, uh, yeah, maybe play to a uh, romanticised slash dumb American ideal of what it's like to live in the UK, (laughs) where we, we all live in castles. And speak like very fake Cockneys. Oh my god, most of the cast are actually British. That's the sad thing. It's only Shade Lynn. Um but I mean the the rest of them all have some kind of British origin. Yeah, the the guy who plays Victor Drake, that's Ian Buchanan. Uh people might recognize him from Twin Peaks. He's been in a ton of stuff, and uh yeah. he has this very arch way of speaking just in everything. He has the I think he did some soap operas and stuff too. So if you want like overly most British British guy you could find, <laughs> you get this guy. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like he's having a ball playing this vampire. And I think like if you're gonna cast a vampire, like he's a pretty good casting choice. Yeah. But I think the combination of everyone and the way that they're doing this is sort of this gothic horror universal monster kind of thing i guess that's kind of what they're going for but it makes it seem cheaper yeah well i mean it doesn't get any cheaper than boris being named boris and speaking like bobby boris pickett from the monster mesh does the master wish to inspect the livestock the guest included wolfman dracula and his son Will the master be needing anything else? <laughs> yeah, I think I like I heard Boris and Horace. I thought it was Horst. I thought Horst. it was Boris, then I thought it was Horst. I feel like the subtitle said Horst, maybe. IMDB says Boris. But yeah, the, the IMDB says Boris. I think that is not what they are saying, but it's kind of unclear what they're saying. 
I've got horsed in my book, and I would have gotten that from the script, surely. Yeah, I feel like horsed is actually right. Yeah, I think horsed is a better name. Yeah. But he was still speaking like Bobby Boris Pickett. Well, I was working in the lab. Yeah, really, he did. The, that, <laughs> that fucking lurch accent. <laughs> he, he's like, everyone is out of like a cartoon or something. He, th- that actor, um, he's uh, Rod Loomis, and he's also been in a ton of stuff. And he was uh, he was a, the villain in a, a movie called Jack's Back, <laughs> where it was like reincarnated Jack the Ripper or something, and oh, wow. evil twin, and one of the twins was killed or so- I don't know. It was an insane movie, but he was a lot better in that than this. Um, again, I don't think he did anything wrong. I think this is just a very thankless episode. <laughs> he is no one but Sigmund Freud to me. Oh, is in that Time After Time? Was that him? No, that's something what? else. No. What did he Bill, Bill and Ted. Ted. Bill and Ted, that's right. <laughs> Time after time and Bill and Ted are often confused. (laughs) I mean, I can see we would make that mistake. Strange things are afoot at the Circle K. Look, okay, Shadolin seems like a uh, a very nice person, and her interview is um is really good. I just think like this was not a good casting choice. Right. She is fine, and but like the accent and the like. I don't know. There's something very off about it, even more so than the other people to me. She had said in the interview, and you'll hear this a little bit later, but this was her very first role. Hmm. So, I mean, for a first role, it's good. It's better than I could do. <laughs> and she had a lot, a lot of thankless stuff to do. I mean, we had yeah. to stop in the second act for her heaping helping of exposition about her entire backstory because yeah that's how that happens in real life i was I mean, left in a boot box on the steps of a church i grew up in a room with 20 other girls just like me 20 lost souls when i left there i lived on the streets until i met you I was sure I would die alone. The script didn't do her any favors. Let's just put it that way. Uh, Well, I will say that this is kind of interesting. So I have a copy of um, an earlier draft of the script. And uh, and I I believe Matt's probably read this because I I scanned it. So there are some differences. They're more explicit about her past in the script. She alludes to it here. She's like, oh, you don't think I'm worthy because of my past. Um, she, She was a sex worker. Uh, and they they get at that in the story like they're like does she end up on the streets again yeah unless they're just talking about her being homeless but that's definitely what the backstory was supposed to be and um mm. there's there's like other differences that I, I feel like the original script uh, at least the draft i have is um more spooky and definitely more gay they definitely have a lot more gay moments with like claudia and alexandra but um that seems to be cut out because 90s <laughs> <laughs> but I've, I've, this this episode, I think, had a lot of problems. This is yet another episode, though, to me, that has some very disturbing undercurrents that are basically glossed over in the sense that the original history had Corrington, who Sam leapt into, committing murder through a human sacrifice on Blood Moon and dumping her body in the woods. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, he's a vampire, so what does he care? <laughs> I, I, I guess, but it's just so dark. And they could have played that for more than they did in this because yeah. that is legit disturbing. That's like, holy moly, what kind of animal did he leap into? And I know we saw the, the whole... <laughs> thing, whatever that's thing. what it, kind of animal. <laughs> that's the thing that's dis- disappointing about this episode because if you're going to go dark, go dark with it. Like, 
I would like to see more vampire stuff. The problem with this, too, is that we saw at the ending of Dr. Ruth that it is a vampire. So we know concretely that this is a vampire that he has leaped into. But the whole episode does this like, oh, I don't know, are vampires real? Maybe he is, maybe he isn't, maybe he's an artist. And he wouldn't leap with the fangs. That's the thing. If they were fake fangs, he wouldn't have them in when he leaped in. But he had fangs. Huh. Mm. Like, I mean, so they confirm this and they have him leap into a vampire, but they don't do vampire stuff or have him encounter real vampires. So, like, if you're going to do a vampire episode, then do a vampire episode. The thing is, the end of Dr. Ruth, as much as I, I love that ending, it's so clearly fourth wall breaking and breaking the established rules of Quantum Leap by having one leap go straight into the next. Mm-hmm. I never considered it to be literal. <laughs> it, I, I considered it more an, an artistic approach to the ending of the episode. So, to me, I went into blood moon not being sure i I didn't i didn't think oh well yeah yeah, obviously he wouldn't have leapt with the fake fangs so therefore blah 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 i went into the episode thinking yeah has he has he leapt into a vampire or not yeah but by the end of the episode we find out he leapt into a vampire so it is literal it is but i'm just saying i don't think we know that at the start i don't think the end of dr ruth proves that the end of blood moon does I don't know why I'm arguing this, but it's not... Because <laughs> we have to talk about something. <laughs> we, we've got to fill time. Fill time, guys. Stretch, stretch. If, if you'll pardon the pun, the whole thing is a bit toothless. <laughs> no, I'm not pardoning that pun. No, walk that one right back. Just, just take it back where you got it and just, just bury it. Just bury it. <laughs> I'm going to defend the episode slightly here because you, you guys have both talked about the, the potentially dark places this could have gone. And... Tommy and the crew clearly chose to play this for laughs. And I might not like this episode, but I think that's a perfectly legitimate choice. You could do funny and scary. Tommy Thompson's very good at that. Oh, yeah. But like you were saying earlier, you know, what what kind of monster has he leapt into? It is a pretty dark concept, but I don't think they needed to dwell on it. I don't think it would have made the episode any better or worse. I think this episode happened because Bacula rhymes with Dracula and that's it. <laughs> <laughs> There was a um, commercial, um, they used to do these commercials where, like, uh, Sam would leap into various other TV shows on the station, or other things like that, uh, and so he'd leap into, like, a news anchor, and he'd be like, oh boy, tune into Quantum Leap at this time, do 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 and then they had one where they took footage from the Universal Dracula movie, and then had him leap into Dracula. Right. It's kind of interesting watching that, knowing eventually they did that. <laughs> Like, it's ridiculous. Wow, if I can find that on YouTube, I'll drop it right right here. The original uncut horror classic, Dracula. I'm Sam Beck. My time travel experiment went wrong, and now I leap into other people's bodies. And I don't know who I am until I look in a mirror. Oh, boy. Quantum Leap. You never know where you'll turn up, except Wednesdays on NBC. That, you know what? That commercial was a better vampire thing than the entire episode. <laughs> oh. They did try to do some of the stuff with um, the superstitious Al. I mean, we've seen that many times <laughs> in the past. Uh, wearing the garlic. It was over the top. It was just so silly. Sam being, like, annoyed with him. Like, what is that? <laughs> what, what are you wearing? <laughs> what, what I didn't like, though, and... I mean, yeah, one of many flaws in this episode, but they took the time to go down to this 
crypt set, which looked like something straight out of a 1970s Gene Rowland movie. And I've watched too many mm-hmm. of those. Um, this one kind of reminded me of a Gene Rowland movie, only it was more comprehensible and had less boobs. But that was a great set. And they got right to the point where Sam is like, he's lifting this sarcophagus up. That thing had to weigh seven tons. And he's just pushing it off there. There it is. Yes, I know. There it is. I guess I'll open it then. See his bones in here. I don't want to hear anything more about vampires. You couldn't like look in the crypt before the scream. <laughs> no, he had to. He had to run a dash <laughs> off. But it was just such a bullshit scene. It's like give me something there. It was an actually interesting set piece. And then you just utterly wasted it. I think that was a casualty of editing because um, I believe it was longer in the script. And you're right. They should have done more in that set because it, it, first of all, it looked better because like the whole castle set is like styrofoam walls kind of bad. Like the, the, the cut budget is really, really showing in this episode. And the, uh, the cemetery looked a lot better. It looked a lot better, but when Sam pushes the, the, the lid off the other sarcophagus later on and it bounces, <laughs> bless him, Oops. he tries to make it look heavy, and then it bounces off. I mean, it, would have been, it would have been priceless if there had been nothing in there, because you could still explain something like that away. I think the intimation they were making was that Sam was actually the great-great-grandfather, like Gorrington is still alive. Yeah. He's undead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what they were checking. Yeah, I mean, you got to... <sighs> The show's been here a dozen times before with, oh, Alice spooked, Alice spooked. But I still think that Dean carried it off okay in this. It wasn't just eye rolling like, here we go again, because they just have such great chemistry together. And that Laszlo Fang sequence, anything in Dr. Ruth pales in comparison to the Laszlo Fang. Let's not not go that (laughs) far. (laughs) I would. I would. (laughs) Anything in Dr. Ruth. Um, you know what I enjoyed about Al this episode? He has a suit that looks like he was wearing a black suit, and then someone threw spaghetti on him. <laughs> <laughs> and then he chose to pair it with, like, white sneakers. What a look that is. He needed to run, so he, you know, he wasn't <laughs> Yeah, he was around. getting ready to run from the vampire. <laughs> <laughs> he had it ready in the... <laughs> At the project, he's like, I love the idea of him planning that at the beginning of the day. Like, there's a vampire in the waiting room in case I got to book it. I'm putting on the practical footwear today. No heels for me. <laughs> Al has some unfortunate costume choices the whole second half of this season. Really, after Dorliak leaves, there's, there's a few oddities. You know what? Al was in the most danger in this episode, though. He has to go in the waiting room with a vampire. Yeah. So that's what I want to know. What's going on back at the project? You have extended scenes in Dr. Ruth in the waiting room because you have to. It's Dr. Ruth. If you're going to have a guest star, she can only be in the waiting room and you have to have scenes with her. Why not show something like akin to Killing Time? Yes. With Al and a vampire? (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. Just something. It just seems like... Like, when he looks into the mirror in the tabletop in the waiting room, I guess he would see a reflection for the first time since he was turned, right? And that would freak him out as the vampire. Oh, the tables are turned. He's got Sam's aura around him, right? Yeah. No, that would have definitely lifted this episode a lot. More, More stuff in the waiting room. It would have been interesting. I think if I was trying to make like a good quantum leap episode that that kind of fit in with the theme. <laughs> so let's say that like the guy, the guy, we see scenes in the waiting room of the guy, and 
everyone's trying to convince him he isn't a vampire, and it's kind of in question whether it's just someone who believes he's a vampire or whether he is or not. And you could have these scenes of him, like, looking at his reflection, talking to Al and all that, but just play it straight. Don't have him be, like, the Christopher Lee, Count Chocula kind of thing. (laughs) (laughs) But you could have it like that, and then, like, and then still have the twist at the end that he was a vampire, and have it not come off quite so gimmicky and jump the sharky i guess i think that um it would have been better had al walked into the waiting room after they sent beaks in there to you know talk down the the crazy man who thinks he's a vampire and just find uh verbena there uh, like her lifeless husk next to this guy and he's like licking his chops oh my god candy ann brown would have had just as many lines as she's had throughout (laughs) the entire series anyway (laughs) exactly uh, you know, I, I liked this line from uh, from Sam, because <laughs> it's so, like, action movie liney. After he um, escapes from the vampire couple and takes out the fake fangs from Claudia's mouth, he goes, Your vampires are fake unless they got a dental plan in hell. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that that was Chloe, not Claudia. It says Claudia on, on the IMDb, is it not? Was it Chloe? Yeah, I believe it was Chloe. We don't know anyone's names. It's Claudia in the script. Okay. I Maybe I wrote down Chloe by mistake. Anyway, who cares? I mean, she was the equivalent. Allison, you gave me this term, sexy lamp. She really was just set dressing. She had not a lot to do in this episode. I felt so bad for her. She she slunk around um, making passes at people and invited uh, Sam to a threesome, which she turned down. <laughs> and then she was she was going to kill Sam. Up until uh, Horst saved him. Boris, Horst, Chloe, Claudia. Boris, Horst, Horace. (laughs) And which was the little girl again? (laughs) By the way, so many comments from people who loved that we left that whole debacle in. So you're welcome. You're welcome for my stupidity, everyone. (laughs) If you don't know what we're talking about, go back and listen to our episode for Tale of Two Sweeties, a comedy episode that was not half as funny as the Dracula episode. (laughs) It's true. I like Blood Moon more than Tale of Two Sweeties. I'd watch that over the... I, uh, this episode amuses me endlessly. <laughs> Sam's a real dummy in this. He falls for the whole, like, drug drink trick. Like, come on, man. Thank you. The entire third act turn depends on Sam being an idiot. Like, the whole thing I'm saying, why doesn't he just call this off? Just tell them to get the hell out. Cancel the ritual. Just close well, he the does. castle. He, he and he does. does. He... But whoops. No. <laughs> he's like, he's like, hey, sorry, we're not doing the ritual. You got to get out. And they're like, all right, perhaps you'll join me for a drink, though. <laughs> and like, Sam knows that they got to be the murderers because uh, Alexandra is the one that dies. There's only three other people in this episode four if you count the detective later (laughs) you know it's probably these people are here for this ritual and think that they're vampires why would you all right let's just have one last drink as they very slowly bring it to their lips but don't drink it (laughs) (laughs) like like so obviously don't drink it well okay Uh. i think this is something that it turned out the way it, it did because they it was so rushed because i think if they had had time if tommy thompson had had time to take a few more passes at this, it probably would have smoothed out some of these wrinkles. It would still be a vampire episode, but I think, like, it's pretty obvious this was a a last-minute rushed episode. Yeah. I have no issue with the fact that it's a vampire episode. I I, I agree with what you said at the the start, Alison. The spooky element is fine. They've done this well before. It's, yeah, this, this whole thing feels rushed and cheap, and that's the problem. 
They were probably using a lot of um, reused universal sets as well, which is probably yep. why they look so crummy. Yeah, and uh, Did they maybe just, they closed down the universal tour for the day or got yeah. in when the tour was closed? <laughs> they went to like a wax museum and they're like, all right, clear everything out. We're going to quantum leap. <laughs> Quickly, the security isn't watching. Exactly. <laughs> One thing that also struck me as a little bit ridiculous, although it led to the funniest scene in the entire damn episode, was that ritual knife. When Victor says, I bought it from an old peddler. It's 1970s <laughs> London. How I many freaking peddlers are running around? <laughs> I don't know why they bothered setting this in the 70s. It's like they picked a, a date out of a hat. <laughs> this is the it, it's got the last gunfighter syndrome it's the we, we want to do something that is outside yeah. his lifetime so uh, 70s eccentric all right that that's a good way of getting this over the line but thank god for that 70s peddler because without him we wouldn't have gotten <laughs> perhaps one of the funniest moments in all of quantum leap <laughs> it was like something out of caddyshack i swear to god i have not laughed so hard and so loud at the ending of a quantum leap ever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Are you laughing at the unfortunate lightning strike or at the, the set plus the backdrop plus the moon? There's every element of that, that shot. No, no, I'm laughing at the lightning strike. And keep in mind, the last time we saw a bolt of lightning strike someone on quantum leap, it led to the leap back. Mm-hmm. And oh, I yeah. still think that this was a better lightning strike. Because oh my God. it was so funny. <laughs> yeah, they're on that corny ass backdrop with the moon, and he he lifts up the knife. He's gonna sacrifice Alexandra, and then Sam and Alan as sneakers run in. Like, <laughs> no, we've we've uncovered your plot, and then Sam doesn't even save the day. It solves itself. My love. <laughs> no. and then gets electrocuted and falls off the cliff like the beast in Beauty and the Beast and then Al looks down <laughs> and he's laying on a coffin artfully oh, mwah, chef's kiss beautiful this, this is it's just the point where even <laughs> God or fate or time is watching this going ah oh, man we, we gotta just bring this to a close I'm gonna send out a bolt of lightning whatever guys whatever <laughs> this episode was a mistake <laughs> I just like to think that this episode shows that Sam can be there in indirect ways, just distracting somebody long enough for nature to take care of the issue. And also, we now know the exact moment when Doc and Marty can expect another bolt of lightning if ever they get stranded in 1975. So. Oh my god, can you imagine the lightning strike uh, hit Sam and he and Al switch places and then Al stuck with the fake vampires? Oh. <laughs> Worst day, ah. And Sam is in the waiting room, running from his own aura. Oh, this, this could have been a two-parter. <laughs> That's what would have made this even better, Blood Moon Part 2. Yeah, I want to see Blood Moon Part 2, but it's the same episode, like the exact same, except we just see it from Al's perspective, so we get to see him in the waiting room, and then like going in and helping Sam, and then like all the shenanigans he has to deal with. That would be amazing. He gets back and Tina's turned. Oh my god, Tina's Turner. Because <laughs> she's eating flies. Because <laughs> she's the Renfield. Oh my god, I love this. Let's write the script out and we'll do that as the next bonus. <laughs> I, I was sensing some fan fiction coming. This is... Uh... 
Oh, God. Oh, so good. The fan fiction writes itself for this one. Beautiful. My my British accent is too plausible, though, so I might have to play an American. That would be perfect. <laughs> yeah, if you try to do an American accent badly, then you might sound like the Americans doing a British accent badly. You might meet somewhere in the middle. Yeah. <laughs> good. Good. I, I want to talk about Detective McStuffy for a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> At the very end, they get the guy from Scotland Yard. You have and he to comes stop. in. I'm, and like, he... I'm drinking coffee. I'm going to spit it all <laughs> over my game. <laughs> that sounds like a personal problem, man. <laughs> yeah, he, he spouts off like the most cliched lines in the world. Like, the, this guy has like maybe two minutes of screen time, and he's like, I am going to just make the, the least out of this. So he, he comes in there and he's like, Oh, yeah, we know your family, so... Seeing as you and your family have lived here for many years, I really don't see much point in bringing you in at the present time. Uh, I don't see why I need to bring you in. I'm the worst detective in the world. <laughs> I'm going to go clean my glasses. <laughs> That's how we work in Britain. If the families lived there for generations, they must be okay. Look at the Queen. Oh, my God. I mean, wouldn't the family in that case, they had that castle, yeah. right? So wouldn't they have been like the squires of whatever shire that was? They would have been responsible for like being the judges and making sure people had the food and keeping up the taxes and, you know, drinking blood, I guess, is a delightful bonus. Yeah. Um, what I don't understand is like, okay, so Corrington was straight up going to murder Alexandra. Yeah. That's why mm -hmm. he married her. That's why he lured her into the castle and he and his friends were going to have blood orgy. Hooray. Um, <laughs> he's going to do it again. So what did Sam actually solve? Yeah, he's well, he's going to go back to killing people <laughs> immediately because he's a vampire. Yeah, yeah. So like, couldn't they, the leap have been like Sam staking himself through the heart or something? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Sam real quick stakes himself. <laughs> leaps out. As he's leaping, and that way, when the vampire leaps back, the stake will like materialize, like his heart will materialize, or like like a bad transporter accident. I don't know. <laughs> Here's what he does: Sam, Sam sets up a stake next to uh, Victor's body uh, on the uh, on the ground, and then goes up to the road, <laughs> and he's like, and he swan dives. Yeah, and then he swan dives, and he's like, oh boy, as he leaps. <laughs> <laughs> the perfect ending. Something like that, or somehow maybe try to get decapitate himself. I, I don't know. That seems like that would be harder to do before leaping out. I I feel like this is a tricky, <laughs> tricky <laughs> problem here. How do you kill yourself without killing yourself? <laughs> How do you kill the leapy? Oh, here, okay. As they come he back. fills a tub with holy water, Lost Boy style, and then oh. he like he gets into the tub because it wouldn't affect him. Yeah, right. He he but then as soon as he leaps out, then the vampires ah melt right, away. You know, but it would also have to be like a whirlpool tub or like a bubble tub because vampires don't do good with running water. Oh, like crossing a river or whatever, so we wouldn't be able to get out. They, I think we just solved it. He just needed a freaking hot... It was 1975. There was a fucking hot tub in that oh, castle Oh, yeah, somewhere. he had a hot tub somewhere in that yeah. castle, for sure. <laughs> Horst was using it all the time. Not in this version of Britain. <laughs> not, in, not in Victorian England in the 1970s Britain. <laughs> hot tubs? We have a bath every six months. He gets Horst to help him out, right? He fills the coffin with garlic, <laughs> and then he gets in there, and he's like, Horst, just nail me in. Just use this nail gun, and then just nail the coffin shut, and then the vampire, when he leaps back in, the garlic will kill him. But master! <laughs> <laughs> I think Horst knew that this was a bad- he, he saved the day. I, I think he, he knew 
This vampire business ain't none of his business. Yeah, but then why did he come back? He forgot his hat? Forgot my cap, sir. I don't buy that for a second. <laughs> you see, he, somehow he knew that Sam, what, maybe he just didn't know he was working for a vampire. He just, the coffin and all, he didn't know he's a real vampire. Yeah, sure, okay. <laughs> Horse is a very confusing character. It's so confusing we don't know his real name. Like, he's preparing, he's getting the sheep down for whatever slaughter they're going to go to. Yeah. He knows that she's being groomed for some kind of ritual sacrifice. He was going to be there until Victor sent, I sent him home. I hope you don't yeah, mind what? that I took the liberty. He sent his servant home? Right. It's just like, this dude's a douche. Aside from being a murderer, I mean, he's just a bad house guest. <laughs> I mean, who are you to send my man home? I hope you don't mind. Well, maybe I do mind. Get the fuck <laughs> out. He knew that Sam went, like, he met Sam. It, like, they, they show up and they're like, they're ready for, like, this orgy, right? They're like, blood orgy time. Yeah. And then they <laughs> meet him and they're like, this vampire is a total pushover. Like, he's, oh, I hope the sheep are okay. Oh, I gotta go check on the kitchen. Uh, I knocked over my wine. Uh, and they're like, oh, yeah, whatever. Let's just get this thing done. I thought this vampire would be cooler than this. You know why? They're like the wharf of vampires. They only know the idea of a vampire. So they have to be <laughs> uber vampire, as opposed to Sam, who's a real vampire. So he's just a relaxed vampire. He spills his wine. He makes a joke or two. It's not all about the fangs <laughs> and the seduction, you know? Sometimes you just gotta be a dude. <laughs> Sorry, I wouldn't <clears throat> pay attention. Kick it. Kick it. That Bach knockoff that Velton obviously had a ball composing. Yeah. Oh, my God. If you're going to do a vampire episode, you do the fugue. Yes. You get that harpsichord fired up. That's on the uh, the soundtrack album. It's yeah, the theme it is. from Blood Moon. Of all the music, Velton Ray Bunch has created such beautiful, <laughs> wonderful music. And out of all the things to showcase, I don't know, maybe they just wanted a bunch of different things. That That's probably what it was. Um, but, like, to use the theme from Blood Moon, I feel like this is one of the ones where, it, first of all, he did nothing wrong with the scoring of it. If you're going to do a spooky vampire episode, you yeah. do that. Oh, it was spot on. Um, but I, I, I feel like it's just one of these cases where he had, like, um, he had a lot of digital instruments and not a lot of live orchestral people available because of the budget. So it, it doesn't sound as rich as some of the earlier scores he was able to do. Yes. Um, just for everybody's information, that piece is called Bite Me. Mm -hmm. Of course it is. Of <laughs> and it is on the soundtrack. It is parked right between the medley from Man of La Mancha and Alphabet Rap. <laughs> uh, good old Alphabet Rap. Don't get Allison started on the rap. <laughs> uh, I, I know that we had um, spoken about sort of quantum leap returning to its supernatural origins here it's like we have the ghost episode in the second season and the mummy episode in the fourth season mm -hmm. and now we have definitive proof that there are vampires in the quantum leap universe yeah it's definitive proof that sam is unable to point a reflective surface at himself of all the times in this series, they do the two people stood next to each other and the mirror is carefully angled. This is the worst. He is pointing that plate right over his shoulder and going, oh, oh I can't see myself in it. <laughs> oh. It looked pretty legit to me. No, I don't know. No, watch, it, watch it again. It's 
It's so bad. It, it was, I, I thought that might have been a tricky one to do. I don't, it didn't look that bad to me, but like it did look like it was a tricky one to, to pull off practically. And uh, I, the ending was just like, it's not effective because you go in knowing that he's leaped into a vampire. I'm sorry. Like, I didn't take this as like a, maybe this leap out was metaphorical. I took it as Dr. Ruth turned into a vampire. He's in a vampire. And then like, for some reason, the entire episode, he didn't, I guess there were no mirrors. I guess that was a plot point, right? He didn't, he couldn't right. see there were what no he looks like. Yeah. Okay. All right. right. So he didn't look at himself until the end, but. Corrington could have had some kind of cosmetic surgery. He was a performance artist. True. Maybe. You still could have written it off. I suppose. Hmm. But I, you know, it, to me, it's, it's, it's no different than Tahotep coming to life or them eventually seeing Bigfoot spoilers mm. or any other insert ludicrous supernatural quantum leap twist here. At least this one, I thought, again, had a little bit of a comic element. Scott was funny in it as he's, you know, trying to dodge around, look behind it and then you know, sneak up on it as just the way he played it, Matt, even though maybe it wasn't as angled as you might like it. Um, I thought he played it effectively. I feel like if you're going to do a vampire episode, I want to see Sam become a vampire. Yeah. I'm sorry. You got it. Like, I don't think, I don't know how good it would be. Okay. Here's how I would do it. If I was going to do a quantum leap vampire episode. Okay. Sam leaps in and he starts psycho synergizing. Yes. With this vampire but it's not clear if these things are because it's a vampire or because the guy he leaped into thinks he's a vampire and he is picking up those traits so you can still kind of do the is he or isn't he thing without going full-on like blah and at the same time make al the renfields of the of the the vampire in the waiting room but again it's not clear is al just kind of imagining this because he's letting his his imagination run away with him or is this actually like a renfield type situation and then you could kind of do the comedy elements and mix it with the serious stuff until you do the the wah wah ending <laughs> seems very what complicated allison think it's that complicated i'm breathless <laughs> maybe if you take out the renfield elements it kind of it would work <laughs> does he shoot jfk at the end or uh it just seems it seems he looks seems in the mirror and he is jfk jfk was a vampire it all comes around full circle how would he know if he was a vampire he wouldn't be able to see himself in the mirror he looks at the he looks at the portrait and it's jfk but a vampire <laughs> It's 1999. Would Al have like a cell phone? Maybe they could do like a selfie. Do vampires show up in selfies? Um, it depends on on what you're watching or reading. <laughs> if it's Buffy, I think you can take pictures or or videos. <laughs> but that doesn't really make a lot of sense because that involves mirrors and reflections. So technically, they should not. If you're going with pure vampire rules here. Well, I think like if you're going to go with that kind of rule. Isn't just like the back of the eye, like a, a reflective surface that gathers the light that comes through the eye. So would you be able to see a vampire at all? If you dig too deep, vampires are just not going to feasibly exist. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're breaking my heart. I just want to see, I just want to see Sam become a vampire. Do it, guys. Do it. You did. None of this lame-o <laughs> stuff. You want to see Sam become a vampire. So, Matt, have we turned your uh, opinion? No, uh, I'm just towards blood. Hang on, hang on. I'm googling <laughs> something here, guys, because I'm I'm sure the whole mirror thing isn't that like it it started as something else, and over 
the generations it's changed. I'm, are we talking about vampire lore? You yeah, mean? Like, yeah, yeah. Like true vampire yeah. lore? I'm sure that... Um, oh, yeah, because mirrors reflect souls and vampires don't have souls. That was why that was. So, yeah, a mirror is believed not to reflect the soul, but the back of the eye... All right, I guess that does reflect a soul, Chris. Goodness me. Stop trying to pick apart this stuff. <laughs> is that is that why Amish people don't like having their picture taken? <laughs> You're going to trap the soul? Uh, maybe we cut that. <laughs> I think that no, I think that is a thing. Okay. I think like oh. they it's something to do with their with their soul. Oh, okay. Right? I thought you meant that Amish people don't have souls. I was going to say. No, Alison no. Oh my god, I'm so sorry. No, I just mean like I I, I wasn't trying to imply. I think like yeah, religiously okay. they do don't like believe that like when you take their picture it's like part of their mm. soul or something. Okay. You're absolutely right, Alice. Unless someone steered me wrong and I've just been believing something incorrect forever. <laughs> no, that sounds familiar. So you're saying that vampires were just bloodthirsty Amish people to begin with. <laughs> oh my god. Well then why if this is the th- if it doesn't if it reflects the soul and vampires wouldn't see it sam has a soul why wouldn't he see himself in the mirror there we go because he's got the aura of corrington around him oh Ah, and auras don't have souls the aura blocked the soul (laughs) but wait a minute if auras don't have souls how can he see himself in the mirror at all ever (laughs) this is so confusing let's dig deep into this lore <laughs> Quantum Leap is already a confusing premise, and then you throw vampires in there, and then it's just all sorts of confusing. And you thought it was ludicrous when a physicist became a glam rock star. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a good show. That's the same show as this. I know. But you had not even begun to see Ludicrous until you have seen Blood. <laughs> Oh my god, that's why when Matt's mother-in-law walks in and then sees this episode, it could be it could be any episode of Quantum Leap could be a completely different yeah. thing. It could be about vampires, it could be about aliens, it could be just a drama, it could be about racial tension, it could be about anything in the world. <laughs> what a great show. She couldn't have walked in when I was watching Black on White on Fire though, could she? No. No. Ooh, that'd be a heavy one to start on. Yeah, though. yeah, I know. Yeah, but it would probably turn you into a fan. Uh, unlike Blood Moon. Possibly. I did have to explain the what's riots to her. But, uh, yeah, uh, Blood Moon, not a prime example. No. Um, but I'm glad that it <laughs> happened. Because <laughs> it's, it's an episode you can watch side by side with an earlier season and be like, Things have happened. (laughs) (laughs) Put this next to so help me God. (laughs) (laughs) So when I I did like a deep dive uh, watching all of MacGyver not too long ago, and I was reading descriptions for episodes coming up. And so like the first season, it would be like, he's taking out terrorists in this country. And then like, I looked at season seven and it's like, he meets Merlin. (laughs) And I'm like, all right, so some things have gone on between seasons. This was Quantum Leap's Merlin. (laughs) Oh, my God. Yeah. Well, I mean, listen, say what you will about Blood Moon. It's entertaining to talk about, Mm -hmm. that's for sure. Um, I don't know that I have any, you know, much more to say about it. You guys want to get into some final thoughts? Sure. All right. So, Matt, I know I asked you kind of flippantly before, but do you look upon this episode with any more kindness than you did coming in? No. Uh, look, this <laughs> this is kind of a fun one to watch. It's For me, it's almost so bad it's good, but still not quite. It's, it's mostly just uh, so bad it's bad. And uh, this this conversation has been fun, and I have laughed more than I've laughed ever about Blood Moon. 
but I, I think this, yeah, it's that's the only way to experience it is just to not experience it, but to talk about it with some good friends and and laugh. So much wrong with this. <laughs> Allison, what are you thinking? This episode exists so that, like, when you're uh, when you're watching stuff with friends and you're like, "Oh, hey, so Quantum Leap did a vampire episode. <laughs> it's super <laughs> bad. Do you want to see it?" And then they're like, "Yes." And then you watch it, kind of half paying attention, going like, "Oh man, <laughs> yes, terrible." That's what this episode <laughs> is. <laughs> and I'm going to stick by my guns and say that Blood Moon does get a bad rap. It's not as bad as the ABC rap, which is more what? embarrassing than anything Blood Moon. Oh, I will Blood fight Moon. you. I will fight you if you say that, that, that ABC... Chris, why did no you go there? No way is ABC rap worse than Blood Moon. ABC rap is the pinnacle of Quantum Leap cheese. So bad it's good. Yes! <laughs> Chris, why did you go there? We never... Just because I wanted to hear Allison talk about the ABC rap. We never talk about the ABC rap. She's so passionate about the ABC rap. It just, it it fills me up when she talks about it. Don't you be (laughs) dunking on the ABC rap. (laughs) (laughs) Only loving dunks in this house. I will say this. um, If Quantum Leap was going to lean into the demonic sex magics, it could have done worse. (laughs) (laughs) I'll say that about Blood Moon, and uh, with that, I think we will close the coffin lid on this discussion. Uh, We're going to go to a break, and when we come back, we will bring you an encore presentation of our interview with Shay Dillon. Stay tuned. On the latest episode of Fangin. It's what we talk about when we're not talking about Quantum Leap. I spend far too much of my free time and money standing next to celebrities and having a photo taken. I discovered the TV show Community. It was a kind of influential uh, horror movie called The Town That Dreaded Sundown. Many people have seen the photo of me trying to kiss David Duchovny. He was famous for doing the Boggy Creek movies. Oh yes, the Boggy Creek movies. Have you heard of it? Are you being sarcastic? (laughs) You guess. (laughs) Matt Dale, friend to Billy Piper. That's the darkest timeline. I'm glad I'm the only other person that doesn't like they live. Why is the mass killer playing a trombone? Laser fart. Chakotay just needs a biro. Natalie is freezing. There was definitely a Fermi panty going on. Concepts are fluid around here, folks. Anything goes. To find out how to hear this and other Patreon-exclusive shows, go to patreon.com slash quantumleappodcast. That's patreon.com slash quantumleappodcast. There's coffee in that nebula. <laughs> You knew it was Janeway, so it can't have been that bad. Hi, I'm Zoe Dean. I've got a couple of questions for you. Are you a fan of classic movies and old Hollywood? Are you a film history nut? Do you love podcasts? If you answered yes to any of these questions, then Not Just Yesterday, the Roddy McDowell podcast is the show for you. Not Just Yesterday is dedicated to Roddy's amazing life and career and gives interesting and fun behind-the-scenes information about the projects he worked on. The show covers everything from How Green Was My Valley to Planet of the Apes, and continues to be updated every few months with exciting new shows and awesome content. Interested? It's free to listen, and the show is available for download wherever fine podcast programming is given away. Just type Not Just Yesterday, the Roddy McDowell podcast in the search bar, and dive into the wonderful legacy left behind by Roddy McDowell. 
This is a podcast you will want to share with everyone you know and love. So plug in your headphones or turn up your speakers and remember to keep smiling. This is Velton Ray Bunch and you are listening to the Quantum Leap Podcast. Uh, welcome back, and now, as promised, uh, an encore presentation of our interview with Shay Dillon. Shay, thank you so much for joining us today on the Quantum Leap Podcast. It's an honor to have you. Well, Alvi, it's so nice of you to ask me. This is uh, one of my favorite episodes of Quantum Leap. A lot of people joke about it because it's uh, one of the few supernatural episodes of Quantum Leap, uh, like a scary, spooky one. Can you tell me a little bit about how you got involved with Quantum Leap? And and I noticed on your IMDb, this is like uh, your first listings, if not the first. (laughs) My very, very first job. Yeah. Yeah. My very first job. That's amazing to get a a lead uh, like across from Scott Bakula in an episode of Quantum Leap on your first thing out. So tell me how that all happened. Well, I went to Los Angeles in the fall of my first year out of acting school. And um, I had been here for a month sleeping under a dining table in my high school daisy cotton sleeping bag. Um, There was a crack house next door. We didn't have a lock on the front door. So I was always being (laughs) woken up by people looking for crack. (laughs) And the guys whose house it was were being... um, well, the house was being sold or was sold. And so they were being asked to leave on the Monday following this Friday when I got this audition. And I literally did not know what I was going to do. I didn't know where I was going to go or anything. And I just told myself, no matter what, you have to get this job. And so I was very lucky. It turned out to be the perfect job for me. I had a lot of experience with dialects and classical training and I had done a lot of theater and so the part was something that you know maybe it was a little bit more difficult for someone who had just done contemporary work and so I don't know for whatever reason I got it I was so grateful but then in doing it there's a funny story about it being my first job because nobody knew that yeah. and while we were filming, I don't know if you'll remember, there's a little monologue where I tell about my my past and I say that I was dropped off in a shoebox on the steps of the, a boot box yeah. on the steps of the church. Mm-hmm. And I have to cry and I had to walk while saying it and then stop at a certain point. And Alan Levy, who's the sweetest, greatest director ever, saying cut okay we have to do it again um shay can you just hit your mark and i thought that meant that i wasn't crying hard enough and so i kept trying to cry harder (laughs) and we kept doing it again and again i was like crying so hard and i he said took me aside and he said shay i'm i just uh, you're doing great really just you're just not hitting your mark. And I said, I'm trying. I'm crying as hard as I can. He said, wait, um, do you know what I mean when I say hit your mark? <laughs> I said, oh, maybe not. And he said, is this your first job? He whispered it so kindly. I said, yes, it is. He said, I promise I'm not going to tell anybody, but now I'm going to put a sandbag on the ground. So your toe hits the <laughs> sandbag, and that's where you stop. So thank you so much. And he never told a soul that it was my first job. So. 
I got away with it. That's awesome. How did the producers not know it was your first job? Like, how, how does that happen? I guess back then before the internet and stuff. Back in the day, yeah. We didn't have IMDb mm-hmm. revealing your whole history. You were just an actor showing up. So they didn't know. Well, I'm glad you got the part. You did so well in the role. Well, I had such a good time. It was such a great week. Everyone was so great. Still friends with Ian Buchanan after all these years. Oh, wow. So, yeah. So such a wonderful human being he is. He played Victor Drake. Right. Uh, yeah. In that episode. Yeah. So what did you think about the whole uh, vampire storyline on Quantum Leap and your part in particular? Did you ever you look back at it and think about it in, at all? Oh, yeah. I love that show. I, you know, I obviously took it very seriously. <laughs> uh, well, there are two funny things about the vampire theme. One is that the night before my boyfriend and I celebrated and went to there's a little pizza parlor in Laurel Canyon and he got the garlic pizza. <laughs> and the next day, the hairdresser said, do you realize that you reek of garlic? <laughs> <laughs> no, I did not know that. <laughs> but it's kind of good for the scene, right? And she was disgusted. She didn't think that was funny. I don't know if she did or not. But then the other thing was that during the dining table scene, um, Alan came over and said, Shay, you're you have a thing where you roll your eyes to the side, you, you look to the side and when you open your mouth, your, your eye teeth are very pointy. And so you look more like a vampire than anyone else. (laughs) And you're the one who's not supposed to be a vampire. So try not to look to the side and try to keep your mouth closed. (laughs) Okay. But I loved it. I thought the theme was fabulous. I loved the period thing. I loved the theme. I thought it was great. And I thought those guys were just brilliant at their jobs of being vampires. They were both so good. Mm. The costuming was really good in this episode, too. Yeah, really great. What was it like working with Scott Bakula and Dean Stockwell? Oh, they're so brilliant, both of them. And in fact, a really good friend of mine, Kevin Jackson, just worked with Scott on NCIS New Orleans. And he had a brilliant experience with him, too. He's just the kindest guy. He's so kind. And Dean is hilarious and brilliant and just, they're just great. They were great. That's awesome. You've had a pretty good career. I mean, tell me a little bit about what stands out in your career, what things that you really enjoyed and would like people to see that might only know you from Quantum Leap. I'm I'm actually really, obviously, Boardwalk Empire is great. Mm. I liked the show Gypsy. This film that's out now, Can You Ever Forgive Me? That's a really great film if you haven't seen it. It's actually just announced yesterday that, I don't know if you know that the two leads have gotten Academy Award nominations as the author. And that the film is now going to be released nationwide in theaters. It had a limited release before, but now it's going to be re-released because of that, which is just fabulous news. That is exciting. I wasn't able to see it around here. I live in uh, Florida, so it didn't come out in my Yeah, it didn't come out, but it's coming now. You get to go, and it's a really good movie, really good movie. You play Nell in the movie. What's that part? So it's a historic character, but we didn't really, you know, have too much strictness in terms of trying to stick with who the person was. Ah. But, yeah, there were... Um, several bookstore owners that got duped by this writer, Lee Israel, she was forging letters. You know, when, when writers used to write each other or celebrities used to write each other, those letters 
become collector's items and she was forging those letters mm. and and selling them to these bookstore owners who were then putting them into their collections and reselling them, et cetera. And she got caught for it. But the story is really about that character. But then I played one of the bookstore owners, which nice. was a really fun part. Yeah, it was really fun. Did you get to work with Melissa McCarthy? I did. I did. I got to work with her for three different days. And the most fun day was with Richard and Melissa in this book fair because we got to spend the entire day together, all of us, a bunch of New York actors playing small parts, all really, you know, fine theater actors that you would know if you live in New York, we're all there. And the most beautiful thing was you had to have your cell phones in another room. So everyone all day long had no cell phone. And so you were forced to hang out and talk to everybody. And it became this, oh, wow, I remember what it used to be like to talk to people. And Melissa's husband was in that scene also. And the kids came on set. Her two children, two two beautiful daughters came on set. And the director's child and husband. So it was just a really great like family day to be a part of that day. It was such a privilege to see these really fine actors with their families and just see how grounded they were, you know, what great people they are. I have found that by and large across the board that the the greater the talent, the more evolved the character. And I know there are exceptions to that rule, but I've been very lucky. I've, I've really been blessed to work with a lot of uber talented people who are also just very kind. That's one. I'm really excited to see that when it comes to my local area. You definitely have to, yeah. A lot of people might know you from Dharma and Greg. Yeah. Did you have fun filming that series? Oh my gosh, yes. It's a live audience, you know, so there's nothing like it's just like doing theater for four years. It was just always getting up and performing in front of a live audience is my favorite thing. And Jenna, my cohort Dharma was so such such a great teammate in terms of being able to feed off of her and working together. We had just had a real kick. It was really a lot of fun. Jenna Elfman, she seems like a real fun person to be around. Is, is she like that in real life? Yeah. I mean, we don't socialize so much, but we really had a good time on set. She was just a really great, fun actor to work with. Lots of energy and just really good at her job. And all of the whole family, Starmer and Greg, Susan Sullivan, Joel Murray, Thomas Gibson, Alan Richens, Mitch Ryan, uh, Mimi Kennedy, all of the all of the actors were so kind and so wonderful. They were really great to work with. And then we obviously had tons of really amazing guest stars that you get to know over the course of it. Like Tommy Chong came to my dressing room. Oh, well, I (laughs) guess I can't. I was going to tell the story, but I can't tell that story. But it wasn't anything untoward. It was just probably not. (laughs) Well, I think it's legal in California now, right? Well, it is, and everybody knows that he smokes weed, but I don't know how many other people, <laughs> how many other people do on your, uh, maybe that's a big deal on your, uh, I, in your crowd. I, I think even if you don't, and Tommy Chong offers, you say yes. It's one of those things. Oh, well, it was other way around entirely. We had a whole dressing room full of people pleading with him to come <laughs> up to my dressing room, so it was not his doing at all. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, it was great. Another really good film that I think hasn't been seen as much as the pretty one 
And I love my role in that film. It's a really fun part. I had a really great time. But uh, Zoe Kazan is the star of it. And does she play both twins in that? Yes, yeah, she does. I saw a little clip yeah, of that, and I'm I'm intrigued. I don't. What, what's that scar about? Is what what happens in that? Um, one of the twins dies, and oh. the other one thinks that she's the one who died, and then realizes she's not. But then plays the role of the one who died. Um, that sounds interesting. It's very interesting. It's totally a great concept, and yeah, it's super cool. Did you play her mom in that, or who did you play? Her stepmom. Her stepmom. Her stepmom. Ah. Yeah, could it be a real bitchy role, but I think it's fun. It turned out really fun. Yeah, that looks like something very fun to watch. Uh, besides, besides acting, you're also uh, teaching, right? Yes, I teach acting now. I started teaching five years ago in New York, and I just got back to Los Angeles like four days ago. I'm going to be teaching out here now, but I love teaching. I never, ever thought I would be able to do it. First of all, I thought if someone can't act, they can't act. You can't teach them how to act. But that turns out not to be true at all. I've seen people who you would never think this person is going to be good. And they turn out to be great. I, I mean, I think everybody can do it. So that's really and I also think it's so applicable to so many things in life. You know, so many people come to me with different needs for it. And so it turns out to be very rewarding, super rewarding. You know, basically what you're learning to do when you're acting is you're learning to pursue your intention at its, its height. So you're making a hero out of yourself in every scene because you're so driven to get something from the other character. And that the the tension is created from the drive and the energy that you have and the commitment that you have. And that's something you obviously need in your life. You need to be the hero of your own intention for your own um, personal goals. And so turns out to be incredibly helpful for them as human beings. And obviously that for me is very rewarding. If someone comes in kind of lost and leaves feeling great, then that makes me feel very happy. So I love it. Cool. How much of teaching acting is like the mechanics of it, like projection and, and, you know, hitting your marks and stuff like that. And how much of it is, you know, about finding the characters and the motivation and maybe acting technique. Like what, what is your favorite acting technique as well? Well, I kind of come at it through the back door, meaning I don't usually work on technique in terms of, you know, vocalization or enunciation I do ask them to work on dialects on their own so that they come in and bring in different dialects and different physicalities. But what I primarily work with uh, in that vein is intention. So, you know, if you really want something really badly, you're going to articulate it and you're going to speak louder and you're going to be driven to get that thing. And the further away that thing is, the louder you're going to be, you know. So, but when it comes to... um becoming different kinds of characters and using different kinds of dialects and different kinds of physicalities. We do a lot of different kinds of exercises. Animal exercise is my favorite. I really love having um, this person be some random animal and then becoming the character and keeping the traits of the animal. And then I have something that I employ that's very, I don't know, I've never heard of anybody else employing it, but I do an exercise called character in a character meaning that 
you are now casting yourself as your favorite actor playing this character, or you're casting yourself as a, another person in the room playing the character. So you're twice removed from the from yourself, mm. and it, it's also very occupying for your mind. So you, it's very difficult to be self conscious while you're trying to be Gary Oldman being <laughs> the you know maid or whatever. Yeah, it, is. it adds another layer to it. Interesting. Yeah, super fun. Besides teaching and acting, you're also a director and a producer. Can you tell me a little bit about the things you enjoy doing behind the scenes? Yeah, I I always, as a child, was a director. I always gathered together the neighborhood and put on plays and, and made little movies. And so at a certain point in my career, I left acting um, right after Dharma and Greg, and I started directing again. And for 11 years, I didn't act at all. And I love directing, really love directing. It's so all-consuming. Part of the thing that's difficult about acting in film is that you have so much downtime and so much waiting. And I'm a fairly single-minded person. So if I have a line to say at 4 o'clock and it's only, you know, 9 a.m., forget it. I'm only working on that until 4 o'clock. And so after a while, that got to be challenging for me. I needed more to chew on, you know, more going on in my mind. So I I really wanted to take a break from it. And I did a lot of directing and that was really fun. Also, I'm a filmmaker. I shot a lot of um, sociopolitical documentaries in Puerto Rico and followed around the nationalistas and and, uh, all of the rebels, the graffiti artists, everyone who had a cause. I made a lot of documentary films. And that was really exciting. Uh, making a documentary, how how is that different than um, making, say, a drama or comedy, something uh, written? Is it difficult sometimes to find the story you want to tell with what you've been filming? And, and does it change? Like, do you, do you go into a documentary thinking one thing, and then once you start putting it together, do you, do you have, like, a different story to tell or perspective on it, maybe? Yeah, for sure. You can go in thinking that the story is going to be one thing and then find out, oh, no, it's not about that at all. It's about this other thing entirely. And sometimes you have, you know, weeks of footage that ends up on the floor because it turned out to be a different story. But it's always, I I would say, across the board, it's always um, interesting. It's always fun. I just love you know, humanity. And that's why I called my studio Humanity Studio, because I really just love watching human beings do their thing. And, you know, we're all so different. And we have no idea how different we are until we really go out and come in personal contact with each other. So I've done a lot of things like that. I did a series of short films where I went to people's homes for one day and showed up when they woke up in the morning and filmed them you know, in their morning routine and all the way through the day so that I could get to know how other people lived. I was just so curious. Mm. (laughs) So I just went around saying, hey, I'm a filmmaker and I'm doing this thing. Can I come over and watch you get up and and live? It was really amazing. So fascinating. We all think like we all get up and brush our teeth. And no, not at all. (laughs) Uh, That sounds interesting. What was that called? Well, it. It's had it's had a few different different names, but you can find a couple of examples of it on my um, website, Shot in the Dark Films. 
you can find the um, organic farmer and the artist. So they're just profiles of people who I thought lived outside the box when I met them. I thought this person has found some way to be incredibly joyful and they're living such an eccentric life. It was called the eccentricity quotient ah, when I first started it. I like that. Yeah, it's uh, shotinthedarkfilms.com if anybody wants to check that out. Um, yeah, that is interesting. I guess not everybody brushes their teeth in the morning, huh? Uh, it, it's been funny in films. Like I've noticed that um, main characters, if they're men, they wake up and they just put a shirt on and they leave the house. I'm like, if I did that, people would be like, you don't smell so good. So I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, right. And on, on the other, yeah, no. nobody does that. Nobody does. That. No. And then, of course, on the other hand, uh, a female lead in a movie always takes a random shower for no reason. Yeah, so. multiple times a day. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, it's fun. It's funny. I just always watch that, and I'm like, really? And I don't know. It's it's interesting. So, what what do you like doing best? I mean, you do so much in in the entertainment industry. Like, what is your favorite part? Like, if you had to choose. Ugh, I'm having to choose right now. I'm I'm pitching a TV show, and I'm having to choose what my role would be going forward. And I, I'm really having a hard time. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's really hard to choose if you have your ideal role and your uh, the possibility is that you could be a director or a showrunner or what what do you do? Um, you know, I don't I don't know. I would say if I had to choose. For the rest of my life, mm. what would you be? I would be a director. Yeah, director. That's not. Yeah, that's uh, really fun. Um, yeah, showrunner would be good because you could always just step in and direct when you felt like it, and of course yeah. make a part for yourself also. So I guess <laughs> you do everything. Yeah. What have you enjoyed doing uh, theater wise? Because that, that's always fun. Uh, the theater. It's it's a. I, I think it's a more intimate connection. You know, with, between the uh, audience and the actors. Yeah, I've had a couple of favorite theater experiences. One was the play, Tennessee Williams' play, Tiger Tail, which turned into Baby Doll, the movie, had its New York premiere, and uh, I got to play Baby Doll. That was really a fantastic experience. Then I really like a few of my experiences in Boston. I had great leadership, I guess, because I had three different directors from MIT. They were in a theater company together and they had just some really fantastic, brilliant minds and they really did some challenging, interesting stuff. So I had a really great time working with them. One of the plays they did was called Maddie Far Away, uh, written by Bill Bryant and Andrew Borswick-Leslie, Kevin Cunningham, those guys were just so talented, and I really loved that play. And then I did a lot of classical stuff, but I can't say I like Iphigenia, As You Like It. I loved being Lady Macbeth. There, I mean, there are just so many parts, I don't even know where to begin. I, I, I love Tennessee Williams, though. I'm a big Tennessee Williams fan. Theater, if you're an actor, do theater. Theater's just, there's no other experience like it. It's not just, you know, people will say, you have to do theater so you'll be a great actor. I don't think that has anything to do with it. For me, yeah, your your chops are going to be different and you're going to have had different experiences. But for me, it's just a matter of the joy of it. It's, it's an incredibly exhilarating experience to do anything live, you know. 
Are you uh, still going to be doing theater? I am dying to do some theater right now. If anyone's listening that wants to cast me in a play, call me because I'm so dying to do it. <gasps> Who's afraid of Virginia Woolf? I would literally cut off my pinky finger and donate it just because I love that play so much. <laughs> I really love that play. But there's also a, a really brilliant playwright named Derek Murphy. I just saw this production in New York called Inside Danny's Box. Mm. I want to do that play. That play is really, really hilarious and profound. He's a really great writer. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. I love the theater. Let's go back to uh, 1993. I, I know a lot of people that I talk to don't remember as much about their roles on Quantum Leap because it was so long ago. But uh, being your first professional job on television, it's got to stand out in your in your mind. Um, did you like create a backstory for Lady Alexandra Corrington? Or uh, did you like do a lot of extra work that maybe uh, you wouldn't further on in your career, but like preparing for that role, if that makes sense? Yeah, you know, hmm, interesting, because I, at that point, I was working with personalization. And that that method was my was what I had been schooled in. But I also always just instinctually relied on myself in terms of imagination. So I'm not even sure what I was working with, honestly. However, I will say I did take it very seriously. Yes, I worked very hard on it. I was very committed to the process of it, as you can probably see. <laughs> the accent was good. Uh, did they ask you to do the accent, or was that uh, your idea, or did they ask you to do a different, a few different ones, and they picked one? Or no, that was the accent that I brought into the audition, and that's just where it stayed, I guess. Oh, awesome! I just actually saw it. The reason I can even think of all of these things, I think, is because it was on Netflix, and I ran mm. across it, and I watched it with my family. It was just so fun. But. <laughs> <laughs> That's I fun. wonder, do you know, like, how many um, Quantum Leaps are still on Netflix? I don't think it's currently on Netflix. It's one of those things where it, they put it on and take it off every once in a while. But you can watch them all on uh, NBC.com. I just watched the Blu-ray of uh, Blood Moon today, though. So. Oh, cool. It, uh, it's out on a nice Blu-ray set, uh, whole series. Nice. Wow. Did you ever think about, maybe after watching this episode or even back then, um, whatever happened to that character, like after she took off and sold the knife and made a life for herself? Oh, interesting. Yeah. Hmm. I haven't actually thought about that, but I could come up with something quick. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds perfect. <laughs> no. uh, yeah. She, she definitely was, you know, at some point she was very fragile there, but I think she, she learned a lot and she toughened up and she was going to be totally fine she had she had survived a lot already mm. so i think she was she was a uh some billionaire's wife right yeah that sounds good she had already had the taste of it yeah <laughs> well shay thank you so much for uh talking with us today i really enjoyed talking to you and finding out more about your career and everything you do and uh again for people if the movie comes to your area or if you're lucky enough to be in one of those cities that always gets the newest best films uh, it's called can you ever forgive me so uh hopefully can you will. ever forgive me yeah i forgive you Stop. <laughs> thank you so much i really enjoyed talking to you it was so lovely talking to you and thank you guys for watching 
Well, guys, how great was that? And how great is it to hear the voice of Albert Burge back on the podcast? Yay. Heck yeah. That interview was was really great. She, she's so sweet. And um, it's just funny, uh, the stories that she tells about uh, <laughs> this being her first job and her not realizing some of the technical lingo. I just, that was endearing to me. She seems like a lovely person. I feel bad mm. that we're dunking on on her yeah. character and her her acting so much in this, but like I think she's she's found like suitable success now, so I'm I'm really happy for her. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, she doesn't need us. She's doing just fine. And, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't hope I didn't sound patronizing there. I'm I'm glad that she <laughs> that she's doing good. She seems nice. And she was really sweet to take the time to come on and talk to us. So, thank you, Shay. Uh that interview was obviously recorded pre covid quarantine so um i don't know what she's got going on these days but uh, she seems like a driven and talented person mm. and i'm sure she's out there killing it and uh we're just lucky that we're able to speak to her so yeah. thank you very much and um i really have no feedback at all so <laughs> <laughs> the audience knew that blood moon was coming crickets <laughs> <laughs> but if you want to talk about blood moon there are many ways Anyways, yeah, unfortunately, you know, sometimes I try, I gather the feedback, we have good stuff to talk about. Other times it's like, eh, what are you going to do? But as Matt said, if you'd like to talk about Blood Moon, there are many ways that you can do so. You can call us at 707-847-6682. You can email us at quantumleappodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash quantumleappodcast. You can hit us up on Twitter and Instagram at Quantum Leap Pod, and you can always go that extra mile and support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Quantum Leap Podcast. Just remember that we may use your response on an upcoming episode of the Quantum Leap Podcast, and we will especially use your response if you use that voice line and talk in a Dracula voice about <laughs> how, you, how you love Blood Moon. So we want to hear those calls. We still have yet to hear anything about um, love muscles. From the Dr. Ruth episode. <laughs> I'm sure that's coming. So if you can do a vampire talking about love muscles, you will 100% be featured on the Quantum Leap podcast. I want to talk about the blood moon love muscles. Again. <laughs> <laughs> Something about speaking of upcoming episodes. Yeah, I know. I know. I'm just, it just strikes me as how ridiculous. We're talking about Sam as a vampire. How ridiculous is this? <laughs> and a vampiric love muscle, in fact. <laughs> Uh, and speaking of ridiculous matt you want to tell us what's coming up next (laughs) oh man so we've we've just got past an episode where he's a vampire and now we're about to get into an episode where he's a marvel comic superhero (laughs) but wait it gets better is is that is that doogie hauser md is is that the evil leaper returning (gasps) why yes It's Return of the Evil Leaper! Yay! Can, can we play the Doogie Howser MD theme tune now, please? <laughs> yeah. Now, you're going to have to tell me if I'm right about this, Matt. But I have a feeling that we <laughs> might be headed into your favorite episode. I think your favorite and least favorite might be back to back. I, I, for some reason, maybe, maybe. That's just what I've been thinking 
for a long, long time. So you can uh, keep me in suspense. Let me know when we talk about the return of Aaliyah and Zoe and that whole. <laughs> wow. Uh, Evil Leaper back for two episodes because that's what we needed. Um, can't wait to talk about that. We're we about to dive deep into some lore. <laughs> more lore. Yeah. Did we need more lore? Anyway, I guess that's something we can discuss on the next episode. Until then, I've been Christopher DiPolipis. I'm, I'm drinking some blood, I, and I've been Alison Pregler. And I've been Matt Dale. Oh. <laughs> and we will see you on the next Blood Moon. Ah, 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 ah. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Quantum Leap podcast, hosted by Allison, Matt, and Chris, with voice talent and contributions from Hayden McQueenie and Zoe Dean. Visit us at quantumleappodcast.com. To support the show, please go to patreon.com slash quantumleappodcast. The executive producer of the Quantum Leap podcast is Albert Burge. Christopher DeFilippis and Hayden McQueenie are the co-executive producers. Morgan Felden and Charles Allen Gossard are the producers. The thoughts expressed on this podcast are those of the individual and do not necessarily represent those of the Quantum Leap podcast, its partners, or affiliates. The Quantum Leap universe and all it contains is the property of Belisarius Productions and Universal Television. The Quantum Leap podcast is not affiliated with Belisarius Productions or Universal Television, and no copyright infringement is intended. Please visit BarrenSpace.com for this and other amazing content. The Quantum Leap Podcast is a Baron Space production. Time is meaningless to me. Uh, how old is Zach now? <laughs> he, he is four and a half. Four and a half. Was he born when we started talking? We started talking less than four years ago. Yeah, I, th- I don't know. I feel like Zach arrived after we got to know each other. Maybe that's just me. Uh, when you interviewed me for the podcast, Sharon was pregnant at the time. All right, so technically I'm right. So you and I have oh. known each other. Oh, okay. Okay, so this is the non-Allison club. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> well, the Kickstarter campaign would have been live, so Allison would have been that strange person who seemed enthusiastic enough about my book to tweet about it, which just really freaked me out at the time. It freaked you out that I tweeted about your book? Yeah, I was like, well, well some, somebody who has a lot of followers cares. What? This is, a, this is a dumb book that's going to sell three copies. Why is anyone talking about it? <laughs> Look, that is uh, an invaluable resource. I have used it many times, even recently. I know when you've got a when you've got like a wobbly table or a book a door that needs propping open, it's it's <laughs> so would, handy. That is a massive book. That'd have to be a pretty big gap of a wobbly table to be using that. <laughs> Hold anything up, Chris? Does it make you jealous that his book is bigger bigger than your book? <laughs> well, <laughs> I wish you wouldn't bring it up. I mean, I was trying to just go right past it, but <sighs> <sighs> we're not size queens here. <laughs> All right, I'm. G- I have to go, guys. I'll see you later. <laughs> <laughs> hey, let's all stop dunking on each other and point, point it in another direction, because because we've got Blood Moon to talk about. Yeah. Was that your vampire accent? And are you going to keep it up? Rumton. <laughs> you know, I don't know where that came from. Maybe subliminally. <laughs> Rumton. Laszlo Fang. <laughs> I felt like I sounded more like Eddie Murphy in Coming to America. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
<laughs> but not Vampire in Brooklyn. <laughs> Haven't seen it, so I can't can't speak to that. Well, you made a good choice. <laughs> Vampire in Brooklyn, Twilight. I'm dodging all the bullets. Every day you decide not to watch Vampire in Brooklyn, you're making a good choice. I've never even heard of it, but I'm just. <laughs> well, do you like Nutty Professor, but wish there were vampires? <laughs> <laughs> but it was oddly serious, and also Wes Craven's involved. Yeah, that, that sounds perfect. You, you still wouldn't enjoy Vampire in Brooklyn, but <laughs> you might, uh, if you ever wanted to see uh, Eddie Murphy in whiteface, maybe. Ooh. All right. Technically, didn't he do it in Coming to America? Did yeah, he, have, he did like, do uh, that in Coming to America. Yeah, yeah that's, okay, that's, he did it again uh, in Vampire in Brooklyn. He, the, uh, in, yeah. in the barbershop. Anyway, all right, let's do Blood Moon before we... <laughs> let's, let's, let's talk about Blood Moon, please, because otherwise I'm just going to get very drunk. Oh, that's right, Matt's drinking. Oh. oh my god, but I thought you never drunk. Fine. <laughs> <laughs> we have to talk about Matt. I'm concerned. <laughs> it's 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 one one glass. Well, I've got to have a glass to get through this recording. One blood moon. Two blood moons. Ah, 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 ah. One dead prostitute. Two dead prostitutes. Ah, 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 ah. So, Chris, have, I, I forgot at the start. Have we had your least favorite episode? No! You go! What? <laughs> Did you say something was worse than Dreams? I thought there was something we watched that you said was worse. Dreams is my least favorite episode. Um, oh, okay. I forgot what it was. Um, it was just very recently, like in the last four or five episodes, where I thought something could have been worse than Dreams. Was it one of the trilogy episodes? Yes. <laughs> it had to be trilogy. It had to be trilogy. Maybe trilogy part one or maybe trilogy part three or maybe just any fucking trilogy episode <laughs> you know trilogy's longer so maybe trilogy <laughs> <laughs> so who played jack ripper better rod loomis or john fiedler rod loomis didn't play jack the ripper in that episode i believe uh well no actually you might be right Never mind. I have no idea if Rod <laughs> Loomis played Jack the Ripper or not. Did we just spoil the movie? Uh-oh. Uh, I think me saying he's the villain spoiled the movie, so I'm sorry if anyone who wants to watch Jack's back, uh, you're going to know what the twist is. Sorry. <laughs> sorry about that. <laughs> and John Fiedler played Jack the Ripper in the famous Star Trek episode, Wolf in the Fold. Oh, the, um, uh, Piglet. Pigpen. <laughs> yeah, pig, Piglet. Yeah, Pigpen Piglet. <laughs> we all sound, sure. we sound like a bunch of amateurs What's right that? now. <laughs> we done our research any of us they're, they're vampaboos they're really just into the vampire culture but like they, they've just co-opted it they really don't they don't really get exactly what it is what is a boo i don't know what that is a weeaboo yeah you guys never heard of weeaboos <laughs> no I, don't say you guys i'm not going to speak for matt but no i don't know what the hell you're talking about no, i i don't know what's going on what Oh, it's a person, usually a, a Caucasian person, who has uh, who is very into Japanese culture. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. Never heard of that. <laughs> I know people like that. Hey, everyone who's listening, Urban Dictionary, weeaboo. Maybe, I don't know, is Urban Dictionary going to give a really bad definition? I don't know. Look up weeaboo. <laughs> <laughs> Dangerous. W-E-E-A-B-O-O, weeaboo. <laughs> Anyway, so yeah, I think that's what's going on in uh, Blood Moon. They're just they're they're vampire groupies. It's all right. It's the description on Urban Dictionary is safe for work. It's fine. I've confirmed it. It feels like everything you look up on Urban Dictionary, it's like the thing people usually use it for, and then the top definition is like some sex thing. 
Meanwhile, the uh, <laughs> the word of the day on Urban Dictionary is vaxhole, uh, which is one who's been fully vaccinated for the COVID-19 virus and brags about it. Oh! I'm surrounded by vaxholes. Me too. My antibodies are homegrown. Aww. I had the Rona and I kicked it. So, take that, vaxhole. Ah, oh, chef's kiss, beautiful.